Good morning, listeners. Welcome again to NSPS Radio Hour. I'm glad to have everybody with us today, or as I always say, if you're listening later, that's fine too, because we really appreciate all the ones who who access the show after the fact and download to their computers or cell phones or however they listen to us. So we, we do appreciate you being with us today. Uh, today, I have a couple of guests who are with an organization called Engineering Ministries International, and we're going to talk about that organization. We're going to talk about what it does, some of the projects and that are going on, how we among the surveying community can assist in the program. Um, and so I have with me Bob Smith, who is with EMI. I don't know, is it International or USA staff you're part of, Bob? Uh, yes, I'm in the Colorado Springs office, and uh, we're the combination in international office plus the, uh, the U.S. office. And Bob, Co- but, uh, I'm sorry, Patrick, is your last name pronounced Cochran or Cochrane? No, it's Cochrane, that's right. Okay, I, I assumed that was, was true, um, but I wanted to make sure of that. And Patrick is with EMI Canada as, as a volunteer and uh, participates in a lot of projects, which include surveying activities. And we're going to talk about some of those projects today and uh, talk about uh, his ad- adventures as well as those of, of others who participate in, in the program. So maybe a good way to start, Bob, would be to have you just kind of tell people what EMI is all about and what its reach is and its goals and, and those kind of things. Okay. Well, uh, EMI was started, oh, almost, uh, I'd say, 35 years ago. A gentleman was on a trip, a uh, structural engineer, and a, kind of a typical mission trip to a small village. And as a result of that, uh, one of the uh, pastors of the church had some difficulty with um, his, his roof of his building, of his house he lived in, asked him to take a look at it, and he was able to come up with a, a small design for him. Uh, as a result of that, when he came home, he started looking up, and you got to remember this is way before the Internet and a lot of communications that we have now, and uh, didn't find any real other organizations out there that were using design professionals to provide those kind of services. So um, uh, God kind of put on his heart to, to do this, and he started in his garage. And as a result of that, it's grown now almost 35 years later. We have um, about eight offices around the world, eight or nine, and then we also have a couple that are growing. But uh, we serve um, we serve those ministries that are out there that are, uh, I'd I say in some ways, just trying to survive. Um, uh, the need for uh, design services, we provide that for them. Uh, so we, we basically have a, uh, architects, engineers, surveyors, electrical engineers, mechanical, construction managers, graphic artists, whatever, will come, uh, we'll recruit, we'll, we'll have applications from ministries out there that will need our services, and then we'll go uh, on a t- trip, typically uh, 10 days to two weeks, sometimes a little longer if it's across the across the ocean, and uh, provide these services for ministries that have a need for, say, hospitals, orphanages, water systems. Uh, we've been involved in some of the disasters over the years, the tsunami and the, the earthquakes and those things. we provided emergency services for those. So that's kind of in a nutshell what we've, we've been doing. How, how do the projects get identified? 
Well, uh, again, it used to be we would kind of look out and try to find them, but again, with the internet and a situation like that, people kind of are starting to find us. They'll put in, uh, you know, engineering needs or, you know, whatever, and they'll find us on the web. Or uh, a lot of times when we go to an area, let's say we go to Haiti and we're down there with a team, there'll be another ministry that'll find out about us and they'll they'll uh, contact us. We have a application process on our web, and they're able to go on there and uh, go through the process. It's, it's not real extensive, but at the same time, we, we do want to serve those ministries that are uh, making a difference to the people that they serve. So when you were talking, I, a question came to my mind in terms of the how the project's get set up so are sometimes the engineering aspects part of an overall bigger project or are they are they identified as engineering projects specifically well i i would say and i've i've said this for the last 15 years i've been on staff is i i think our our biggest um asset that we bring to the ministries is a uh, master planning a lot of ministries have gotten a vision, okay, I, I see a need here. I, I want to build up orphanage. There's street kids on this area that you know need a place to go. So, And they maybe for one reason or another they've gotten a piece of, of ground that either the government's helped them to get or maybe a, a, some group of people said, hey, you know, we want to get you started. But they've got this and they know they want to do, uh, you know, 100 kids, 300 kids, whatever. And we're able to go in there, sit down with them and talk about, you know, okay, in order to do this, you know, you have to have this type of building. It's going to have to provide these uh, services. You're going to need, obviously, with kids, you'll need a playground. You'll need uh, a place to feed them, to house them, uh, protection, electrical needs, mechanical needs, uh, all the way through the various things. So we'll then uh, take a team in, do a, um, normally we always do a survey of the property, provide that, and then our architects and master planners will sit down with the ministries and, and, and basically work out some type of a master plan for how to, how to accomplish the vision that they have. So um, that sounds like an awful lot of work. So I'm assuming that once a project is identified and then some initial work is done, maybe even some data is gathered, I, I would imagine there's probably more than one trip back to the site for any given project? Well, uh, yes and no. Um, it's, it's amazing how you can take, um, and, and as everyone knows, uh, architects and engineers are right brain, left brain, so there's a, there's a gap between the two of their thought process. But, but if, you, if you look at a typical project, you know, even in the U.S., let's say, you know, to do something like this would take three to six months, well, we're able to kind of cram everything in in a, in a short time and maybe a five to seven day work week and, and we, we we basically are trying to gather information we're not trying to I'll say westernize the design into the country if we go into a country like Ecuador and we're going to design something for that country we're trying to learn so a lot of our time is spent observing the construction how they do things what materials they have available and those types of things, and then we try to apply those to the to the design, which, again, is kind of rapidly done in a short time, but a lot of the work is, uh, some of the work is done, you know, uh, post-trip after we get back, and then we'll put together a package, a report, 
which is not a, a you know like a specific set of drawings, but it's, it, it's enough to get them started to 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 do the work that they need to do. So the the funding, if that's the right terminology, for the actual project itself, once it, the construction is begun, that that comes through another source. Yes, the ministries um, themselves. Again, as you as you think about it, a lot of ministries. Again, I'll, I just kind of thrown out countries. Let's say Kenya may have a, a group of people from the U.S. who's gone in there. They've seen a need. They say, "Hey, we'd like to help you." You know, put together this medical clinic. Uh, so, in some ways, maybe that person will contact EMI or the ministry themselves, go through the application process, and then once they're approved. We'll put together a team to go over there and, and uh, provide the design services, and that's what we do. We, a lot of times, my first trip to Kenya, they were kind of looking at us like, uh, "So when are we going to start building this building?" And they didn't understand the whole idea that this is actually our our purpose here is to help you take the vision that you have and put it on paper so that you can provide that. So most of the fundings do come uh, from you know outsources through support and all that, but uh, like. This trip I'm coming up in, uh, in a few weeks to Ecuador, it's an indigenous ministry, and they're actually raising the funds for themselves in order to do the work. So that's kind of rare, but when we see a, a country or a group of people that are doing that, we really want to try to support them any way we can. So in terms of uh, your your efforts, I mean, obviously, if they, if they call MIN, how does how does all that get paid for? Is there some do you have sponsors or how does that happen? How does that work? Well, EMI is a five hundred one c you know nonprofit organization, so we have people that uh, support EMI, whether it's through donations or uh, gifts, or we've had you know different different ways in that way. But all of our services are, are basically done through our volunteers. So. Myself, I'm a project leader, so I would, I would three times a year, I would uh, be sent out uh, to various projects, and it's my responsibility then to uh, recruit a team, and all of our volunteers, and we we love our volunteers. They they will take off, like I said, ten days a week, two weeks, whatever it is to go. They provide their own funding. A lot of them, uh, for, you know, pay for it themselves, or sometimes they'll actually. Um, Raise uh, supporters. So someone say, "Hey, I'm going to, I'm going on this trip to to Haiti. Um, you know, I'm just let friends know, and sometimes they'll raise support that way. So we can provide our services in, in that way. Um, sometimes the ministries themselves will will provide uh, some funds for us to to uh, to do the work. We've, we're estimating right now each time we do a trip, it costs about eight thousand dollars for us to go out and do that work. So we have people that sponsor that. We have people that give through just our general fund, and then all of our volu- all of our uh, staff, myself included, we're all on support, so it's my uh, responsibility then to raise support for me being out here. So, and we only have a minute and a half or so before the break, but sure. do you have, do you have like corporate sponsors who provide equipment or anything like that? Uh, yes, but, uh, you know, we'd love to have more. <laughs> and I, 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 I'd really like to talk a little bit more about that, maybe after the break, about the equipment. Because one thing yeah, I that, feel is it's important to do that. But yes, that's, that is a yeah. That that'll be a good thing for us to talk about when you come back, because uh, I think one thing that all of us understand in in the business, so to speak, is that 
uh, and even in the association business like like I'm in, uh, it's hard to do the things you need to do unless you have good good uh, people supporting you, not only from the individual uh, donation of time or whatever, but um, just in getting the things you need to be able to provide the the uh, service that you want to provide, and and that always takes help from from some other place and. So I, uh, we will talk about that when we come back from the from the break. Um, I, I was in, I was interested in your uh, discussion about master planning as well, and maybe when we get back to the break, in addition to talking about the sponsorships, we can talk about what the opportunities are for any of us who are in surveying or engineering or whatever fields are needed. Uh, you know how how we can help or how we get signed up to help or, or how that process works. I'm sure there's information about it on the website and and what have you but it'd be good for our listeners to hear directly from somebody you know kind of how the process works so let's go to our break and we'll be right back attention surveyors seanstead announces the maggie the next generation magnetic locator the Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. As we were going to break, uh, was talking with Bob about how the funding occurs and and support and all those kind of things. And I and I have to admit, uh, Bob and Patrick, that part of my my logic for asking that question comes from being a preacher's kid um, <laughs> in, a, in a small country church in Southern Virginia, and uh, knowing that anything you're trying to do, uh, regardless of what it is, but particularly in in the in the ministries. If you don't have people that support you, you're not going to get it done. 
And so that that's part of the, the logic for my question was I, I know how um, difficult it is sometimes to get the support you need. Amen. <laughs> so maybe, Bob, you could, could pick up on that part again and tell us a little bit of how, how those sponsorships work. Well, um, various ways, and I, I, you, you touched on one thing that I'm very uh, passionate about is equipment. Um, I, when I came to EMI 15 years ago, I mean, I, we had a uh, just a mishmash of, of hardly anything that was really worthwhile. We had some broken tapes and some old transits that were questionable at best and, and all that. So been blessed over the years. We've had some great uh people out there that have helped us over the years to get some more equipment. But one thing I want to say is um, if, if, if someone's going to donate something, and, and please, I hope I, I hope I say this in the right way, but when these are going to a, a developing country, and that's what we call these places we go, there is no place to take and get these things fixed and all that. So we, we you know, we need equipment that's in good, really good shape, not just something that somebody doesn't need anymore and wants to kind of get rid of it. I hope, again, this is coming off in the right way. The other reason is, I mean, you know, we're representing uh, we're representing the ministry when we're out there. We're representing uh, the United States. We're representing God. So, you know, we need equipment that's going to be reliable and usable. And, of course, we'd love to have, you know, the latest, greatest things. Mine, these drones that are getting more and more popular, but question, you know, how we might get them in the country. So... We've had donations. I always, I've had, I have a little fund that people have given money, and I'm able to buy, you know, through that way. We've had some uh, donations, like I said, over the year that way. But, but again, going back to the, the volunteer, and I'd like Patrick to kind of jump in. Our volunteers are, like I said, if, without them, we would maybe do a half a dozen trips a year. But as a result of having volunteers and the trip leaders and all that, we're able to do probably, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 uh, projects a year, uh, with each team having anywhere from, you know, say six, eight to 14 people on it, and uh, obviously surveyors. And what we do is the key to it because without a good drawing and a good map, we're not able to um, to provide that. So uh, finances can come through equipment. Finances can come through support of a of a staff person like myself or other people on our staff. Finances can come and just say, "Hey, I see a project in uh, in uh, Argentina, and I, I like I like what you're doing there. I'd like to donate some money toward the cost of doing that." So there's there's various ways of doing that uh, that kind of volunteer for EMI. Before Patrick starts talking about specific projects and how they work, uh, another question popped in my mind as you were saying that um, yeah. when you're going to the countries, is is there ever a situation where the country itself has an interest in the project you're doing or the locality or uh, and I'm assuming some of these places have no money anyway but I, I guess I guess the, the question is is there ever any support through any government entity or anything like that in country well um, the government can take on as we know even in this country a lot of different uh, aspects we I've been in uh, situations where we do what we call our closing time where we'll present the design we'll do a quick uh, study and we'll get information. We'll gather it and we'll put together a kind of a concept of what we want to try to come back and complete when we do the design. And I've had, you know, governors and people representative from the president come to the um, closing time. And 
course, they'll get up and they'll give their speeches and do all that. So political-wise, it's the same all over. And sometimes, yes, they're very interested in uh, what we're doing. Uh, Money-wise, it gets a little it gets a little difficult well, as far as the government providing that. Now, they can be favorable to a ministry that sees, okay, we're going to build this hospital, and they'll say, okay, then we'll provide, you know, we'll, we'll at least allow you to have this piece of ground. It's, I've seen a few ministries that actually had uh, ground donated, very rare, but it happens. Uh, but some, a lot of times it's more, mostly uh, they use it in a political way, you know, to kind of get their picture there and see see that what they're doing, what's what's going on. So, But the ministries themselves, we challenge them, say, look, if you're going to raise a million and a half dollars for this project, would you consider, you know, part of that money that you raise maybe someone helping to provide some kind of, you know, support or something, you know, back toward our ministry so that we can continue to do that because there are ministries out there that are so poor and have nothing that we, but we don't want to, throw them out and say, no, we're not going to no, provide for you because you don't have the, the funding. Yeah, that I, I certainly understand that, which makes the, the effort, I, don't, I won't say even more important, but it certainly uh, points out the, uh, the validity of, of what the program is doing. Well, Patrick, I want to talk a little bit about volunteers and and. and Bob was just saying that there could be 50, 60, 80 projects a year, perhaps. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming you need a lot of people for that. And one of the first things I think people would ask, and being surveyors as we are, we, we would ask that, what is the experience like? If, if, you, if you decide to be a volunteer, um, what's the experience like? Oh, man. Um, I was just uh, looking over our, our blog that my wife put together and looking at some of the comments and the feedback. And um, earlier on when I started in missions and, uh, with, with the, or as a volunteer with EMI, and one of the comments uh, from a, one of our clients uh, or partners uh, had said, uh, you will never be the same. You will become spoiled for the ordinary forever. And um, that pretty much describes the experience of being a volunteer with EMI and, and, and where I'm at. It's just given me such a great sense of purpose in my life. Um, yeah, I've been a volunteer on uh, uh, dozens of survey, uh, dozens of missions as a team surveyor uh, with EMI. Um, my, I'm not a, a land surveyor as such in, in, uh, in Canada. My, my, um, my uh, profession is as, as an engineering technologist, uh, but survey happens to be probably about 20, 20% of the work that I do. Um, and so I was able to serve as a, uh, a volunteer uh, helping carry out topographic surveys. That's kind of basically what's needed by most of the EMI projects. As Bob mentioned, if there's any kind of a legal work that needs to be done, that's done by an ent- entity on the ground in country that's... Uh, has authority to do that. We're not there to. Uh, we're there to maybe just have an uh, observation of what the boundaries are. But our main goal is to come up with a topographic map, or a plan, so that the uh, the rest of the team, uh, the design team that's there, as Bob said, for the week or ten days, um, to carry out their master planning exercise. So um, ah, it's just a great experience. We're as a surveyor, we hit the ground running, so to speak. Um, the there's a lot of pressure on the surveyors to come up with that uh, site plan so the design team can get going. So the first couple, three, four days, uh, um, that's a 
pretty hectic and busy time for the surveyors. But um, it's so great to be a part of a team of volunteers, uh, you know, with like-minded, like-hearted individuals that um, they're there because they want to help, they want to serve, um, and they're there um, to share their faith and to help um, alleviate poverty as best they can. I guess it, it would seem logical to me, at least, that from the surveying perspective and, and experiences that we all, surveyors all, all have, uh, being sort of the first people on the ground, um, first in, last out, is what we always say. We go in and gather the data, and then we find out at the end if we did it right. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But I, I would imagine there's a lot of interaction with the local folks for that team. There is, you know, as we're as we're in and about the sites, uh, you know, there's just a whole uh, huge deluge of people that are kind of surrounding the survey equipment. A lot of times, people haven't seen that kind of the type of equipment that we may bring in. Maybe we're bringing in RTK GNS equipment, or uh, or even just sometimes total stations and data collectors are even foreign to uh, a lot of different countries. The countries that we go into, um, a lot of kids interested in what what we're doing. Um, we try and engage uh, through the, through our partners on the ground. We try and engage locals to be a part of our team. Um, I especially have a heart to want to uh, share my skills as best I can. Uh, I often ask for maybe a high school student or maybe there's an engineering student in the community, and we try and engage them to maybe uh, talk to them and share our knowledge and, and skills uh, with those individuals. So, uh, yeah, and as Bob said, you know, the rest of the, you know, while while we're carrying out the survey, the rest of the team may be out, um, you know, looking at different construction techniques. They may go out, visit a construction site to see how things are put together. They may go visit a hardware store to see what kind of materials are available so that the design can be appropriate to that particular community and, and the way that they do do things and the way that they produce things. In I, and I'm assuming there are some cases where these projects are almost kind of standalone. Maybe there's no, no public utility, no water, no sewer, no none of that stuff that that's available. So I, I would think uh, that could be quite a challenge as well. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but my my vision is that that's probably the case. Oh, very much so, and maybe you can speak into that too, Bob. But uh, that's one of the things. Uh, one of the um, one of the team members and a team member that's uh, in most of the teams that we uh, send over. They would have a civil engineer that's a part of that team to help design, uh, to help kind of come up with it, um, design that would uh, would provide those kinds of services. Okay, yeah, Bob, say, would, uh, would, go ahead, Bob. I got to say, Kurt. I, I used to tell our volunteers. How would you like to go to a place where there's no building codes, inspectors, rules and regulations? You just got a raw piece of ground and you just got to use your basic engineering skills to come up with a design that will help improve this and, and create this uh, community type of thing. And they, that would get their attention very fast. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. I think all of us probably um, like to think about that kind of situation um, and it's pretty rare for us in the profession these days to find yeah. find anything like that. Um, you know, I, I I always think back to where my beginnings were in the southwestern mountains of Virginia, surveying, and some some places that I visited were not like where you are. But you know, in, in some cases they had certain similar characteristics. Um, but just right. to go to somewhere where there's really nothing, no infrastructure at, at all, really. Yeah. 
would be challenging and I think uh, rewarding. Yeah, let me reiterate what Patrick said because that's probably one of the big things that can scare off a potential volunteer, especially in survey. I'll say all we're trying to do, and I like to use the word, is to create a map. And I think hopefully that makes most surveyors understand. A map is just saying here's here's a picture of the property. Here's what we got, and then put it on a piece of paper. Boundaries and those types of things are not. We're never going to get into a situation. We don't. We do not have registered surveyors in all of our offices and all of our teams that have. I've never. I've never. In I, I hate to interrupt, Bob, but we we're at a break. Believe it or not. So let me come okay. back to you and just just after the commercial. Okay. Thanks. Getting into underground utility location? If so, you'll want to know about the Schoenstatt Instrument Company's MPC kit, a multi-purpose combo for locating both ferrous objects and underground pipes and cables. And because it consists of two instruments in one package, it qualifies for trade-in allowances on two locators, any kind, any make, any condition. Contact your dealer for details. Or visit www.shonstat.com. That's S C H O N S T E D T dot com. Listen to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and each week I'll guide our discussion on a fresh, news based energy topic only on America's Web Radio. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie. The next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products. The sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Before we went to break this last time, uh, Bob, you were talking about, the, I, I posed the question about the sites themselves and lack of uh, facilities, and, and you made mention of the fact that this is like a, a new frontier for, uh, and, you, and you would think all the people, particularly we surveyors, that that. That's something that would be of interest to us because, you know, we like to think of ourselves as the last of the rugged individualists, whether that's true or not. We like to think of ourselves that way. Um, and, and you were talking about that, and, and we had to go to break, so maybe you can pick back up on that in a little bit. Yeah, again, I was, I was saying um, our, our primary purpose, and again, I go back to what I say EMI's best at is that is master planning. And obviously, a master plan can't be completed without a good survey. Now, I've had a number of ministries that'll say, oh, yeah, we've had a survey, we've got some information. And sometimes I'll have a piece of paper and they'll get it to us, and other times we'll get over there. But typically, um, just, I, just it's, it's not 
lack of, you know, trying to do it, but it's just lack of equipment and knowledge and those things. It's difficult for countries to really come up with something that's usable. Now, my my goal on collecting information, again, is, is and I said, even plus or minus a foot. We're, we don't do construction type of drawings, so we're not normally doing a lot of earthwork design, things like that. So we're trying to locate buildings. We're trying to say, okay, here's a high point. Here's where you want your... Here's where you want your water well or your system dug. Here's the low point. Here's where you want the septic system. We've, we've, we've designed that house situations. So, it's, you know, like I said, it's very basic. But um, it's just trying trying to get the information in, in that short of a time and everything. And like Patrick was saying, there there is some, uh, not, I don't want to say pressure, but, you know, to get the information quick. But normally... Uh, volunteers, and I, I find architects especially, they can look at a piece of ground and pretty well sum up where they think things are going to fit. And then during the course of the week, you're saying, okay, hey, I'd like you to get some more information on this area because I think this is a critical area. There may be other areas that uh, are, are less critical. We've had pieces of ground that were several hundreds of acres, but maybe the only usable, maybe 20 of the acres of it. So maybe that's what we'll kind of check and see if we're... Um, you know, on, on those areas like that. So it, it's, it just depends. And equipment-wise, I mean, I've done a couple of surveys with just a, uh, you know, a, 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 a compass, a hand level, and a tape, and, and that's good enough for what we need to do. So what, once that work is done, this preliminary map that we've talked about is, is put together, um, is there typically in-country hard, what I call hard design capabilities, or does that go to some other entity to do, or how, how does that work? Well, and that, that can go all over. I'll say on the extreme side, you go to some countries, and I'll, I don't know, maybe China, Jordan, uh, countries that are a little more developed, we realize that what we're doing is providing them a, a schematic type of drawing or whatever, and it's actually going to have to be taken to a uh, to a design professional in that country to be reviewed and stamped and all that. So we, we, we're not trying to take away work from the, from the, from the uh, locals. In fact, on our application, we say, why are you using EMI and not the local people? And a lot of times it's just because they can't obtain that information. In some countries that we go to, uh, they like the fact that we're Christian uh, design professionals and we understand when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the aspects of using uh, that within our design, that they, they, they want to see that. Um, other times, uh, going the extreme way, I've been on a couple projects, uh, a ministry in Nicaragua, where they literally took our drawings we did that week, and we met with the contractor on the way to the airport, and before we left the site, he was bending steel to, to put the columns in. So if, if, if the design is simple enough and something we can do in country, we'll do it there, but typically we'll come back and bring the information and then provide, like I said, we call it a report, and in it, there's a section that's written. It talks about the project itself, breaks it down into the different disciplines, what was done, what the reason for the design was. And then we'll typically have a, uh, several dozen drawings in the back, which will show structural details, uh, architectural uh, renderings and drawings. A lot of times the drawings are used to obtain um, uh, funding. Uh, we do sometimes a little funding package. So we'll help them put together something so they can go to it church or a board or a large corporation say, look, this is what we want to do. And rather than just have an idea in their head, 
now they've got a set of drawings that and report that says done by professionals in the U.S. and we use in country if we can design professionals also. So it's just a whole gamut of what we're trying to produce. It's it's what the it's what the client needs. I'll say we're we're trying to find what they need, and what we can do to help them. Right. You know, Patrick, you were you were talking, and you and I spoke about this even before we decided to do this show, but. Uh, you were talking about outreach earlier, and I know there's one particular project where you guys are engaging some local folks to help them help themselves, uh, and, and it's that training program that you've got set up in Uganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, in um, 2011, um, I retired from the Government of Canada Department of Fisheries and Oceans and um, wanted to and continued my involvement as a volunteer with um, EMI and. Um, yeah, I, I traveled to Uganda. Um, it wasn't with a it wasn't with a team at that time. I just offered up my services as a surveyor or a volunteer to help EMI in uh, East Africa with any projects that they may need surveyed. So I um, got an opportunity to to join uh, a Ugandan surveyor in northern Uganda in Gulu, and uh, this fellow was just so um, just so thirsty for all that uh, all the all the all the all the different technology, um, all of the different uh, software that we were utilizing. Um, they have great training in theory in the, uni- in the university. He was a geomatics engineer. They have great training in the theory in their universities, but uh, very little um, instruction on practical application of, the, of that theory. And so uh, it was just great to work with this fellow, and um, it kind of spawned an idea that, hey, maybe we can come up with some kind of a... Um, a practicum for these for Ugandan surveyors that would help them develop their practical skills, and um, yeah. So in 2012, uh, I uh, uh, through EMI we started uh, a survey practicum for Ugandan geomatics engineering students. The idea behind this program is to help them develop their um, practical skills in the application of surveying. So um, we give them. You know, when they're in in university in Uganda, they may there may be a dozen students per instrument, so there's not a lot of time for them to really get familiar and comfortable with the instruments. Um, if they if they work in the uh, in if they get an opportunity as a student in a summer job, often they'll be doing the the menial, uh, more labor type tasks rather than getting time on the instruments. So. This really helps give the students that we're working with a, 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 a kind of a, a foot up and give, give them a, 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 give them the experience that they need that will give them, uh, as I say, give them a, a bit of a, a boost in terms of looking for their next job. So, um, yeah, it's it's a and being a faith organization, not only are we able to share the practical skills as a as a design professional, but we can also um, you know talk about things like integrity and um, um, healthy workplace practices and the likes. Uh, and those are things that are really important, especially in a place like Uganda. Um, the survey profession in, in Uganda is, is one that's very challenging, one that carries not a great reputation. There's a lot of fraudulent land deals, and that all comes back on the surveyors. So... Um, the students that we have, it's just amazing. Uh, the students that we have and, and that take part in this eight-week survey practicum, they have a real desire to want to change the profession of surveying, change the reputation that surveyors have. Uh, just uh, 
amazing. One of the, one of the, um, uh, the yeah, it's 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 a great opportunity for us to share our skills in a place where there's a, a desperate need. And the way you were describing it, I wrote down uh, just the term labs, yeah, because the way you describe it almost sounds like the the labs that students in our surveying programs here in the in the states. Do and in some cases, um, particularly if if uh, professor availability is low, the local surveyors will reach out and and work with the students in the schools and and particularly this happens in the you know the more rural schools, not the more structured ones. And it sounds very similar to that, maybe on a little broader scale, but but it sounds really really similar. Yeah. Um there's not there's not as much opportunity for students as i say they're not they're not given much of an opportunity to on the instruments as much as they're seen as just a labor force and a lot of times they're they're not reimbursed all that well for as as a student so it's a real struggle for these young surveyors to get the experience and get the practical experience that's needed so uh, this really helps uh helps them uh, give them a leg up yeah no, it was in it was um Encouraging also to hear you talk about having the opportunity to work with them on a more um, uh, practice type issues or, or, for lack of a better term, ethics issues that they may not uh, get from somewhere else. And that's one of the beauties, I think, of what what you guys are doing through the ministries is uh, you have that opportunity to have that conversation with them and um, in a location where, as you said, maybe that's not something that's stressed very well. and. I could argue there's probably some places in our country where it isn't stressed very well no. either. But <laughs> that's, for, that's that's true in ours as well. So, yeah, it's a great opportunity to you know when it's it's amazing how what we're doing passes on to them um, of students uh, in our program. One of the things we try and encourage them to do is to take what they've learned and go and encourage and and teach others. And uh, we've noticed our programs really hit that mark. Um, as I was doing a training this past summer, um, as we, uh, one of our students, uh, I was teaching a CAD course, and um, three of our students in that particular training said, hey, we've done this before. I said, well, where did you learn this? And they said, well, Refer taught us uh, in university. Well, Refer was one of our former students from a, a number of years back. And so wow. it was really great to hear that Refer hit the mark. He was took what he learned and went and taught some of his colleagues, and was given that opportunity actually by his university professor. Yeah, that kind of pay it forward kind of attitude that that exactly. we so often hear people talk about, and that, exactly. that makes good sense. Yeah, it's yeah. really good to to hear all that. Well, we got, we got a minute or so left before the break. Again, we've gone quickly here. Uh, so when we come back, um, I know um, Bob. There's a there's a project in in Ecuador that we talked about that you may want to share some information about, and then before we end the show today, I do want to give you more time to to talk about how people can get involved and how important it is and what the process is, and, and to make sure that we we reiterate that side of it so uh, okay. people grasp that that concept. So uh, again, um, we'll we'll get to that when when we get back from the next break, but. Um, I, this, I just want to say we've got a few seconds left. This, this is so enlightening, and, and I, I'm sure that our audience is going to find it to be as well. And hopefully we will have some people who will be interested. And before we go away, you're going to need to tell them how they can 
can contact you to, to be able to follow up on, on anything, you know, the, any efforts they might want to put forth. So Good. let's go take that last break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com, that's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. In our last segment today, um, I want to have Bob and, and Patrick as well share some experiences. I know, Bob, you talked to me about uh, a project in Ecuador, and I'm sure there are other ones that you want to talk about. So I'm going to give you that time to do that, but I also want to save some time. I don't know how much time we'll need at the end to talk about how people can get involved and how donations get made and those types of things. Okay. Well, um, when you say Ecuador, I guess I'm thinking that recently Patrick and I went down in November worked with a ministry that specifically brought water, clean water, to villages. There's, they, they, they've seen 55,000 villages that they've designated down there that don't have uh, clean water. We, we take that for granted so much here in this country. Well, obviously, in order to design a water system, you need to know some topography. You need to know a profile. You need to know where the high points are, where the houses are, and all that. So Patrick and I went down there with this ministry, and they've been We've been kind of limping along with their surveying, but realized as civil engineers, they've gotten some limited um, use of, you know, their, their equipment and all that. So we went down, they bought something before we came down, and we actually literally spent uh, two weeks down there between them and another ministry and, and spent uh, that time working with them. And then we're hoping in the future there'll be other ministries that we can do something like that, literally take a team down of... Uh, couple people like ourselves. It doesn't have to be Patrick and I. We'd love to have other others join and do that and, and, and be part of this thing. So the practicum that uh, Patrick talked about that four years ago that he began, we're hoping we'll just continue to expand into other areas. But one of the things I wanted to share, and I know we're limited on time, but the importance of 
why we need a surveyor on our trip and that. And this is a personal one for me. It was happened over in the uh, the Dominican uh, or the Republic of Congo, and it was a very remote site. And they had about 25 acres, and they were wanted to put this orphanage site. And we kind of laid out literally something we were going to do. But as we started measuring up the property, and, and all I had at the time was a, a tape and a uh, I call it a, a construction type transit. Uh, something I actually got at Lowe's, a the wall thing. It wasn't much, but we were taking measurements, and the, the engineer came in at night, and he kept saying, okay, this is it. And I sat down with my roller, and I kept saying, well, I'm only getting about 12 and a half acres. And I just, I, no matter how I came out with it, I, the same thing happened. And eventually, I went to the ministry, and I said, look, I'm sorry, but I know you paid and bought for 25 acres, but all I get is, you know, 12 and a half acres here. And I was ready to just, you know, almost cry for the fact that what that kind of is typically happening. You know, every time they get a property, it's never as much as they say they did. So anyway, um, he was happy, and he said, I'm going to go to the government and talk to him. And two days later, the surveyors came out, and we showed them what we had, and we walked it, and they, they gave them the other 12 and a half acres. So if we hadn't done anything else on that project trip, they got the amount of acres that they needed to do the work that they claimed to do. So that's that's kind of why it's so important to have someone in there that understands measurements. Now, again, we didn't establish boundaries and all that, but from what they were told, they were they were short of that. So, to me, that was a that was a, a just a real blessing on our end to be able to help them, and it made the ministry feel a lot better about what they actually had, had purchased. So, the original description was really more about uh, location of. Uh, for lack of a, term, a better term, monuments to define the boundaries, and it was assumed to be 25 acres, but it really wasn't. Is that my understanding? That correct? Yeah. When we when we when we say boundaries, we're talking about to a tree, to a right, exactly, you know, yeah. creek, you know, to the such and such as neighbors and all that. And and the problem is a lot of times these these properties, unless they establish something around like a fence or something, people just you know will just kind of go closer and closer and closer. And as these properties get developed, then obviously the area becomes more valuable too. Right, exactly. Well, I guess then we want to make sure that we get in the part about how people get involved and and how donations are made and specified. So let's make sure we do that. And if we have time to come back, we can we can do that as well. So sure. if you could help us along that way. Okay. Well, uh, the best way, obviously, and most people are familiar, obviously, on the internet. So uh, at EMI World, EMI World dot org is our main website, and that'll get you into kind of all the other ones. Each each office has kind of their own individual ones, but that's a good way to start. I, myself, I'm, I'm more than glad um, if someone wants to connect me directly with more questions. I can let them know about possible upcoming projects. The website will show that also. Almost every project we have needs a surveyor. I mean, I'd say 95%, if not more. Sometimes we'll have an electrical project or a strictly a a hospital where the, it's already been established and all that, but I'd say 95% of the time we need a survey on almost every project we do. So you can contact me at uh, bob.smith at emiusa.org. That was bob.smith at emiusa.org uh, directly. Again, on the website, if you feel inclined to donate in some way, um, what we need you. What we would need you to do is go on there. Do you want to do a donation? You can make it specifically to, like Patrick said, the survey practicum. You could say survey equipment. You can say um, uh, anything else. You could do it as a donation uh, to a to a staff person 
or a project or anything like that. Again, if you want to contact me directly, I'll I'll kind of get an idea of what you want. If you have some equipment, and again, I, I'm going to specify. I'm going to ask you about it. Is it in good shape? Is it been calibrated? Can we get can we get batteries for it or chargers? I mean, some of this equipment sometimes is so old we can't always get the, uh, the, the equipment for it. So keep in mind, you know, we're not just donating to organizations to kind of get rid of your equipment. We're we're, we're a Christian organization. We represent. We represent our Lord, but we also represent the U.S. and we represent, you know, doing the work that's a ministry. So we need good equipment. Some some countries we go into, we need uh, some things that are not so, uh, you know, intrusive. They have to be a little bit smaller. So we've been blessed with donations from a company that gave us something smaller, a handheld uh, device. Uh, we did want to mention there's a several donors. I, I hate to even get into names because I don't want to lose some out, but. One of our one of our real good friends is out in Lincoln, Nebraska, Transit Works, David and Andrea Hoffman. They've just been a blessing. They've donated probably half our equipment maybe over in the, our practicum and others uh, around the world in our office has been donated. They they take our equipment, they, they'll check it for us and clean it and calibrate it and get it ready. So so we can use more of that. We've met some uh, people from some of the other organizations. Carlson's recently donated uh, a number of uh, for us. So, again, I, I apologize if I'm not mentioning everybody's name, but we've done that. So it's just been a blessing to see. I, surveyors in general, ever since I've been doing this for over 40 years, are just generous. And, and this is a way of taking what, what your gifting that you've been given and use it in a way to make a difference in people's lives and allow them to, to live in, in a lot of cases, you know, without clean water, without proper septic systems, and or without these kinds of things. So... I just, I just know surveyors are generous. I know that everyone I've met on its trips have been amazing what they do in his life. As Patrick said, it'll, it'll be a life-changing experience for you. Yeah, it you certainly know. is. Just want to add to that too, um, Bob. You know, you mentioned about equipment and about you know just if people want to sponsor or provide any kind of donor of, of funds. Um, also, we've had um, some great support through software companies like, as Bob said, Carlson, and I especially want to point out Microsurvey in uh, in Kelowna, British Columbia, have been so helpful in providing us with software to be able to. Uh, uh, equip all of our data collectors and uh, to utilize their uh, their CAD uh, software in our training in Uganda uh, without that yeah we'd be we we would have it would be very difficult to carry on this program and this training just quickly um, Bob or Patrick either one when somebody is interested in participating let's say a surveyor wants to get involved and they contact you is there some lead time I mean obviously they're not going to go on a project tomorrow, but is there any preparatory time that they need to go through um, uh, before they participate, or if, if you had well, a project going, would they be able to go right away? Yeah, I, I, as I say, I'm literally getting ready to go to uh, Ecuador in uh, about two and a half weeks, and at the last minute, my uh, structural engineer wasn't able to join it. Family matter came up, so I'm recruiting, and I'm, I may have someone to go, but we have you know, lead time can be anywhere from uh, a, a several months. We, we find that people say, oh, if I just knew, you know, I could plan better. But quite frankly, I, I think people's window of when they're going to go is a lot less than they think they are. So we, we basically travel three times a year. Part of that is we have an internship program, which is huge, not only in the U.S., but all over the world. All of our offices typically will have a, a handful of interns in there, and they're working 
So, so we have a we have our, our winter term, which is right now. So late late January or February, sometimes into March, we'll travel. Then in the summer, around June, July area, and then in the fall, August, September, like that. And part of that is our intern program. And that's when they come and be part of it. But if you knew that, say, look, I'm going to make a commitment and I'm going to travel this fall and the, this September, say, look, I'm available. I'd like to go. I'll just plan on that. Um, what, what we find is most people, the reason they can't go is either time or money. And surveyors always say, you're either so busy you can't go uh, right now or you're not working enough that you can't afford to go. <laughs> but I yeah. always feel, and that's kind of like why you go to a conference or something too. But I feel like, you know, if, if especially uh, those of you Christians and if God is leading you to go on this. I, I have never seen a person not go on a trip because of finances. He, he will provide in some way. And a typical trip may run, say, $1,500 to 3000 whatever it is. Some people say, well, I just can't, I don't have that. Well, again, the generosity of other surveyors, the generosity of friends and family, I'll say, look, I can't do what you do, but I'd like to support you in doing that. So we encourage people, let people know what they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing. Now, we also have That's a disaster response team. We, we only have about 30 seconds left, Bob, so okay. I want to make sure I thank Sorry. you both for being with me today. It's been great hey, to have so you much. on the show. And, and, and I think that empathy from surveyors, by the way, comes because we're closer to the people than any other profession, it seems. Yeah. But, again, thank you both so much for being with me today, and hopefully we may have a chance to talk again sometime soon. Okay, Kurt, Thanks thank, for you. thank you very much. Take care. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.